You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Let's give the band another round of applause. That's fun. Yeah. Hey, great being with you guys this morning. Happy, happy Sunday. So glad, glad that you guys are a part. You know, when I go on vacation, I actually go find a church and I go to that church. It's really cool. So I don't know if you've done that before or not, but... Church, I, I, my hope and heart is for you as a, um, uh, a grown man or a grown woman is that you realize you become a churchman or a churchwoman. Like, I mean, Sunday school teachers change kids' lives, amen? Like, can we celebrate a Sunday school teacher? Like, it's incredible. Like, you guys are being faithful. I see these young families here that serve week after week. I mean, you hold it together. Keep instilling and encouraging kids to understand who Jesus is. This morning, I want to talk to you about the state of evangelism. Evangelism means sharing about the good news of Jesus for those who are not yet Christians. That's what evangelism is. It's, it's sharing about who Jesus is. And, um, you know, in 2010, my wife and I, I remember we were driving on I-40. We were moving into the city. We we're the very first um, kind of part of the church, I guess you will, that kind of began to come to Phoenix, you know. And so here we are, 2010, didn't know a single soul. I remember driving down um, I-40 and then getting to Flag and then coming to Black Canyon uh, uh, Highway and then seeing the massive lights and all the people. And I began to envision God was going to use me to share and show the love of Jesus Christ to people who did not yet know him and then to build up believers. And uh, so I was really excited about that. Uh, The next morning I had a job opportunity. The first two years of my wife living in Phoenix, we worked in an apartment uh, community and, and uh, the very beginning, and it was off of uh, Thunderbird 917, uh, right behind Fry's Electronics, Sterling Park Apartments. And, uh, and we were asked to be a part of this CARES team, which is a Christian organization, but you can't really talk about Jesus publicly, but you can share a little bit about your faith and your experience. So a big first event, I remember we were gathered together on this big lawn, huge, huge lawn, grass lawn. It was really pretty, but they had to water it quite a bit in order to keep it green in the Phoenix Valley. So one night, we uh, were going to do this big family outreach, and we were going to play this movie, and the goal was just to build relationships. That's all it was. It's not exactly evangelism, but it's like pre-evangelism. And so we're sitting there, and we've got to overcome this barrier of fear of building new relationships and starting this church and going out for God to, to, to start a new work. So we do this big outreach, and we're sitting there, and we work so hard to do this. And you ever work so hard, and then it all falls apart, and you feel like your pride was on the line, and you, everything just crumbles. This story is a disaster. So we're sitting there and hundreds and hundreds of families are showing up. They're spreading out their picnic blankets. And I'm like, the first event. I'm like, baby, check this out. This is amazing. Now, granted, we're not getting to share about Jesus, but we can at least build a relationship with people. So I stand up, introduce everybody, all that stuff. The movie's going on, movie in the park kind of thing. We got blankets out, sunsets, beautiful Phoenix sunset. And it's gorgeous. Everything's going great. And I'm like taking it all in. Like, God, we're here to serve you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for all these people. I pray that some come to know Jesus through the relationships that we build. And then we're sitting there and it gets dark. And all of a sudden, the sprinklers go off. And I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no. Don't don't panic. Don't worry. And (laughs) the sprinklers went off for about 20 minutes and soaked everything, including the electronic equipment I borrowed from a church, and destroyed everything. 
that, was, that was my orientation. Uh, another event that we did, we were trying to reach out to the Latino population in our uh, apartment community. And we were like, you know, just trying stuff, just trying stuff. So we decided we're going to have, I'm like, baby, let's have a taco soup night. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's not like cool to do that, but I'm like, hey man, let's have taco soup. You, you do a great taco soup. We're from Dallas, kind of Southwest. Let's do that. Dallas, Arkansas, you know, all that. So we come over, we do this taco soup night and mass uh, a group of people from the Indian population came over and, and I'm like, where, where are the Latinos? Where are the Latinos? I'm like, these Indian people are really cool, but they were uh, not Native Americans, but like India, India, India people. And so we're sitting there and I'm like, oh, it's okay. This is cool. This is awesome. You know, I don't say, oh, it's okay. That wouldn't be good. But I'm like greeting people and we're all connecting. There's this big line. There's about 75 Indian people in this clubhouse and we're starting our ministry and we're building relationships. And uh, no, everybody's going through the line, grabbing their salad, their taco shells, the chips, more chips and more taco shells and skipping the meat. And I was like, finally, there's this one guy who's like a rebellious Indian guy, uh, and he's not probably Hindu, but he knew all about the Hindu culture and religion. And I said, hey, man, I go, why aren't they taking the meat? And he said, because that's beef, and we have a sacred cow that's our God, and you're feeding them their God. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And then he goes, it's all right. We got like millions of gods. It's cool. And... And I'm like, oh, 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 oh my goodness. So in that, there was this learning curve of learning how to share Jesus, share relationships with people. But there's all these barriers, cultural barrier, religious barrier, ethnic barriers. And in the book of Acts, it's exactly what you see. You see all these barriers. And so one of the questions that we've been asking is what's holding us back as a Christian, as a church? What holds us back? We all have barriers. A barrier is anything that can hold us back from growing and experiencing the courageous, joy-filled, spirit-led life that God offers through a relationship with Jesus Christ. In the state of evangelism, how we're doing in America is this. 96% of American Christians have never shared about Jesus. Uh, Statistics aren't everything. I was a business major and I took stat one, stat two. Um, But they do tell you something. Um, you always got to ask the question, well, where was the survey done? When was it done? How big was the survey population? Blah, blah, blah. So this is a big number. 96% of Americans, Christians, have never shared about Jesus. Additionally, uh, 60% of Christians actually say that they witness. So there's like a, con- a contradiction, it feels like, in those statistics. This comes out of LifeWay Research. Ed Stetzer is the uh, president of LifeWay Research. Um, this was, it came out of some of the research they've been doing. What was interesting to me is in American culture and the churches, we've changed the definition of witness, where witness typically means is that you, you share what you've seen God do. So like if you were in an accident, police get there, they're going to ask, is there any witnesses? And the witness's responsibility is not they need to be an expert in traffic law or anything like that. They just need to simply share what they saw happen. And in American culture, we've kind of changed the definition of witness to be something like if you're at Starbucks and, and the girl was rude to you or the guy was rude to you and you still give them a tip and you smile and you have a cross on your necklace, you might just go, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or you got a sticker that just uh, represents your church or whatever uh, on the back of your car. We could say that could be witnessing. But by and large, that's not what gets people saved. That's not evangelism. 
as we're going to see it laid out in the book of Acts for Christians. What's interesting to me, this is really encouraging, is 90% of unchurched people are open to having spiritual conversations. That's 90% of the American population is absolutely open to having spiritual conversations. We have a gal in our church, Sarah Beekman, she was here at first service. This gal walks around all the time and she interacts with people and she meets people at uh, the, mail, the mailbox place. She meets them at work or in the driving, wherever. And somehow she gets into a conversation and this is the number one thing she always asks. Hey, is there anything I can pray for you for? And she, she tells back, she sends back the message that almost, it's about nine out of 10 times, every time they say, yeah, I'd love to tell you what you could pray for. And then it turns into this great spiritual conversation which leads to Jesus. See, we get the great privilege and the opportunity as Christians to understand that we're a message carrier. We get to carry the message of life to people. You can, uh, uh, junior high, high school kids, uh, moms, dads, businessmen, businesswomen, you all have this influence in where you go. And God wants us to be a courageous, spirit-filled, joy-filled person that does this. God calls us to share the life-changing message of Jesus with those who do not know him. That is, I don't know of any other greater privilege, to be honest with you, when you meet and you hang out with somebody that's been searching for God, searching for Jesus, and then you get to share that life-changing message with them. It is so cool. Let me tell you more stories as we go along of things that have been happening in our church, but God calls us to share the life-changing message with of Jesus with those who do not know him so that he may be glorified and others may experience a joy-filled life now and in the future. So the cool thing about Christianity, which is so important to clarify right now in American culture, is that God offers life now and in eternity. This is what Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's a big deal. Uh, You know, I mean, you you could ask the question to people that don't know Jesus, how would you rank your life on a scale of 1 to 10? And if they said 10, or you say, great, what makes it a 10? Well, I got a car, I got a a house, I got a this and that. Then you could ask the question of what if you didn't have that stuff? Then the, the scale goes way back down. And then you could talk to them about a relationship with Jesus Christ, that in the midst of all tragedy, God can turn around and make a triumph out of a tragedy. That when people are down to nothing, God is always up to something. And the message of life that Jesus offers is incredibly huge. People are asking the question about the afterlife too. I mean, and they're thinking and contemplating death. On USA Today, right now on the front page of the Sunday morning newspaper, it says suicides rise among middle schoolers. 10 to 14 years old, people are contemplating death and suicide on a very regular basis. A study came out recently that I read about was it was two out of every 10 Americans are contemplating and thinking about death or killing themselves every single day. That's a lot of people. And what we have as Christians is we have this life, this message. And we need to be this place of grace where when we're struggling as people in the church are struggling with that feeling of we need to go back into, uh, with other believers and be encouraged and pull up out of that funk that we could be in. But there's a lot of people that need to know this message and we need to repeat this message of life. This is what Jesus told the early church. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. That means simply sharing what you've seen God do in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are the church, you and me. We are the church. We're the message carriers. We're the witnesses. And it starts here in the North Valley and it spreads out. 
Many of you are going to have, you travel uh, uh, nationally and internationally and you travel throughout the city and God has a, an epicenter called the local church that he wants to work through and it's you and me. And so it is, is what we're going to learn this morning is two kind of styles of evangelism that's, that's sharing the good news of Jesus Christ is a public ministry of that and then the private. And the public ministry is incredibly important. I mean, recently we had Harvest America. Greg Laurie came in and we had a guy in our church come to faith in Christ through that thing. I mean, it's just been really cool. God raises those people up and they travel and do campaign evangelism. It's incredibly important. But there's this fear barrier of sharing your faith. And we as a church, as we look forward to the next five years, the next 10 years, we can't be held back by this barrier of fear about sharing about the good news of Jesus Christ. Three observations from the life of Philip. Philip was one of the seven that was chosen to administer to the uh, widows and the orphans in the early church. And he's going to not only do that, he's going to be faithful to share the good news. And as persecution hits Jerusalem, he's going to move forward out of Jerusalem, obeying the kind of the commands of Jesus and moving forward and being a witness and sharing his faith. Three observations of that ministry of Philip, the preaching centers on Jesus, number one. In, in chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 4 through 5, we pick up and we see uh, Philip's evangelistic model. There's a public ministry and a private ministry. The first is the public, and the preaching always centers on Jesus. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. He went to the people that were receptive. He went to the people that were often left out of the regular uh, routines of the, of the religious life. Uh, of the historical faith, and he goes to them and he preaches Christ. In public evangelism, it's incredibly important as we see guys like Billy Graham or Luis Palau or Greg Laurie or even church pastors, you, you got you to be hearing about Jesus. Jesus is the center of everything. He's the fulfillment of all the prophecies in the Old Testament. He's what everything is all about. He's the Son of God. And the preaching centers on Jesus. Second observation is good news is accompanied by good works. God's going to use not only good news, but He's going to accomplish a, a, a very clear understanding about um, Philip's ministry and his authority as an early church leader about, so that people will know Jesus uh, through good works as well. And the crowds were with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs he did. What were the signs? He's doing miracles. The supernatural stuff. Extraordinary stuff. Like healing people. Like these are the early disciples. I mean, they're going out and they're not only preaching good news, but they're doing incredible good works. And it's got people kind of in a, a, a frenzy of like, wow, we've never seen this before, this kind of level. Look what it says in verse 7. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many were paralyzed or lame, were healed. That was a big deal. It's extraordinary kind of stuff going on. The book of Acts kind of shows us it's not necessarily what is normative for every church. I mean, you know, like if, if, we, if, if, if we as a uh, Christians had a guy that was healing all the time, I would take that individual, go down to John C. Lincoln, and we'd empty that thing out. You know, or we'd go up to this regional hospital and do that. So the question comes for us, just a theological clarity real quick right here, is, uh, is a lot of people think with uh, the, the miraculous gifts that maybe they ceased with the apostles. There's a couple positions on understanding how miracles work. Is One position is, is, well, it never happens. 
God never heals. God never does a miracle. God never does that. It stopped with the 12 apostles and the disciples of the early church. That's when it stopped. That's one position. Another position is on the other extreme. It says, no, 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 no. Exactly what happened back then in the early church happens today. And it always can happen. Always. And it, but it's just completely dependent on one's faith. And if one doesn't have enough faith, then he cannot receive and, and, and receive that miracle. And so that can leave a lot of people potentially in guilt because they get prayed for by the elders, heal this person, heal this person, and then they're not healed. Well, then the preacher or the leader could say, well, it's your fault. You didn't believe enough. That's, that's another position. That's, those are two extremes. I'd like to advocate that there's a, a sometimes, something in the middle. God sometimes will do a miraculous healing, right? We had a, a lady back at our church in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, church by Fellowship Bible Church. She had cancer and she petitioned and asked the elders if they'd pray for her. And we prayed for her and, and the leaders came around and prayed for her. And I knew that family and she was healed. Uh, we, have, we had another in, incident later, a spinoff of that. Another individual had cancer and was asked to be prayed for and God didn't heal her. And she sought all the treatment from the doctors and all that and God didn't heal her. Is God good? God's always good. How does he operate? Sometimes he chooses to heal, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes he'll choose to use the doctor, sometimes he'll intervene in a miraculous event. So the question comes is, why, were, why was it happening here? It was happening here because God was authenticating the message of Jesus Christ in an incredible new way that had never been done before. These are people that historically had rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and God's doing whatever it takes to authenticate his message and his messenger. So good news is accompanied by good works. And that's still true today. The church ought to be doing good works. But what distinguishes historical Christianity from every other religion isn't good works. It's good news. It's about forgiveness and grace. That we don't have to atone for our sins. And, and Philip is going to be preaching good news. Third observation is this. is People who receive the message will rejoice on earth as it is in heaven. In Acts chapter 8, verse 8, it says, And so there was much joy in that city. Jesus said it like this, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When an unbeliever becomes a believer, there's rejoicing in heaven. When a sinner turns towards God with his sin and, and, and turns away from a life of selfishness and self-centeredness and towards Christ, and a Christ-centered life, there's rejoicing in heaven. For you and me, how, how should we operate with a relational style of evangelism? How do we do that? Let's look at the life of Philip. Continuing on in verse 26, we're going to see Philip encounters a divine appointment and shares about Jesus. First thing we're going to learn is that we need to follow God's leading if we're going to uh, be involved in a relational style of evangelism. Follow God's leading. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Philip is obedient. Philip listened to what the angel of the Lord had to say. And he rises up and he goes. He doesn't even know exactly where he's going, why he's going, who he's going to meet. He just goes. Question comes is how do you follow God's leading today? I would encourage you, number one, is this, this isn't in your notes, but you might want to write this down, is that you listen to God's word. You listen. A lot of times we read God's word, but we're not listening to God's word like it has something to do with our lives. Secondly, I'd encourage you to listen to God's spirit. Meaning like you, you, you listen, when you pray, 
You're praying to God, but remember, God wants to speak to you as well. Like he loves you and he wants to communicate with you. You don't have a good relationship with anybody unless there's two-way communication. Listening to God's spirit, you know, in the charismatic movement, uh, a lot of people will say, well, I got a word from the Lord about this situation. And they're talking about how God's spirit is revealing something to them specific. And the Baptist kind of denomination, you'll hear the old Baptist people say, well, the Lord impressed upon my heart this little message. And they actually mean the same thing. It's God's spirit is just preciously moving through the hearts of people to get them to do something. So I encourage you, listen to God's word, listen to God's spirit, and then lastly, just obey. That's how you follow God's leading. You obey. When God prompts your heart to do something, you go do it and you see extraordinary things just begin to unfold. Second is you believe in divine appointments. It says, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He's, he's seeking, wants to know about God and was returning, seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. A couple things, he was an Ethiopian, he was a dark-skinned individual. Uh, really, uh, Ethiopia uh, in this context, modern day, where they're talking about is Sudan. He was a Sudanese. Um, ethnically, totally different than, Steve, um, than Philip. Totally different. There was a racial barrier there. God had a divine appointment for him to meet this individual. He was already seeking the Lord. So many times when you're out and you're praying and you're, God wants to use you and he'll set up a divine appointment and there may be a racial barrier, an ethnic barrier. There's a cultural barrier here too. This guy's a eunuch. He's a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. A eunuch would have been somebody who would have been emasculated or castrated and so he could attend to the harem, the concubines and all that, but they didn't want them to mess around. So this guy is ostracized in many ways from the religious communities, especially in the Jewish temple, because of that. This guy feels a great deal of shame, embarrassment, isolation. He's on the outside. He's also on the outside because he's incredibly uh, elite and powerful economically. He's culturally kind of disconnected, could be made fun of, but he's also very wealthy. He is a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. This guy was not a, a dull tool in the tool shed. He was pretty sharp. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. This isn't a chariot that he's like, like whipping the reins like Ben-Hur down the desert. This is like, no, he's got a chariot and there's people driving this thing. He's in it and it's like a big, big chariot, if you will, with horses or camels or whatever's pulling it. We don't know, but they're pulling it along and he's in it, chilling, reading Isaiah. And God had already set up this divine appointment. Philip doesn't even know what he's getting into, but he's going to take that step, be obedient and go. And this is who he runs into. I mean, the chariot would be like uh, a fully loaded black Escalade cruising through the desert with an entourage of other black Escalades or Range Rovers fully decked out there, blowing through the desert. And here comes Philip. He's like, oh man, what is this? So look what he does. He realizes this is a divine appointment and he's going to rely on God's spirit for the right words. And the spirit said to Philip, go over, join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? So the spirit of God works 
impresses upon Philip's heart or gives him a word of the Lord, however you want to put it, gives him that intuition, that understanding, go, go, that's your guy. You've got to go share with that guy. So here's Philip running in his flip-flops down the desert, trying to catch up with that, that Range Rover. Hey, oh, I hear you're reading Isaiah. Cool, do you understand what you're reading? Look what the guy says. It's really cool. He says, uh, well, here's the point. Remember that most people are open to spiritual conversations. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Here's the point is most people are open to a spiritual conversation. Most people would call themselves spiritual. Oh, I'm not Christian, but I am spiritual. Oh, I'm not a Jesus follower, but I am spiritual. This guy's been searching though. He'd heard about Yahweh, the Heavenly Father, and he wanted to know about Jesus. Jesus has, at this point, um, uh, been crucified, buried, and risen again, appeared to him uh, over a period of over 40 days uh, after his, his resurrection and ascension, and has demonstrated uh, and spoken to the 12 apostles, and then 2 Corinthians tells us up to crowds of 500 so the name and fame of Jesus is beginning to move from Jerusalem, beginning to spread through Samaria, Judea, Samaria, and now it's moving into the ends of the earth. He says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Here's something you need to realize is that you're a guide. You're a guide in your classroom as a student. You're a guide as a, as a, as a single mom, uh, a married couple. Uh, in your business environment, you, you have some guiding that you can do, and a lot of people are searching. Um, I served as a, or worked as a professional guide in the mountains of Colorado for a number of years. It was really cool to me is that over the years, I've kind of seen God use my experiences to help me connect with people. That's often what goes on. You go through a hardship, God's going to use that hardship for you to help somebody else. You go through a terrible situation, a marriage, a divorce, a dysfunction in the family. God will take that and then turn around and ask you to help guide somebody else through it. See, see, see Philip understood this guy's suffering and sorrow at some level. And God's going to use him to help others. God wants to use you to be a guide. He wants you to help other people. You know, uh, I grew a beard for a long time so that I was motivation so that we could get on the campus. I told everybody I'm going to grow a beard until we get onto the campus. We've been on the campus now in buildings for, I think, 12 Sundays. And I shaved it when we got on. But when I had it, um, I would go into my Jewish barbershop up here at V's Barbershop at Norterra. It was all Russian uh, uh, Orthodox Jews. And they would say, bro, you look like my rabbi. You look like my rabbi. So I've been called rabbi, I've been called guide, uh, you know, I've been called a, a spiritual coach, a life coach. I don't care. To me, I just love the privilege and the opportunity to help take people somewhere. But here's the cool thing. All of you have got, you are a guide. And here's what we're seeing in this case is this guy says openly, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now here's the passage of scripture that he was looking at. It's really interesting. In verses 32 through 33, it says the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. It's at Isaiah. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. 
And the eunuch said to Philip, verse 34, about whom I ask, does this prophet say this is about himself or about someone else? He was saying, is it about Isaiah or is it about somebody else? Is it, could it be about like a, this Messiah? And, and what we're going to see is that Philip shares what he knows about Jesus. Philip opened his mouth, verse 35. He opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture. In Isaiah, the suffering servant. The foretold role of Jesus Christ is the suffering servant who would sacrifice his life on a cross. He told him the good news about Jesus. You know, I think it's interesting that he identified with the humiliation of Jesus. Because nobody was more humiliated than this Ethiopian eunuch. He was deeply humiliated by his cultural condition in serving in the court of the Ethiopian court. He was a eunuch. And here, what Philip does is he connects and says there's a, there's a suffering servant that was greatly humiliated. And he connects this guy's hurt with the Lord. Sixth observation that we need to do is that we need to help new believers take their next step in baptism. That's exactly what Philip does is immediately after this guy, he's going to place his faith in Jesus Christ. Um, somehow Philip is, is going to uh, lead this guy to begin to understand that it's important to be baptized. Uh, it's interesting, he, they were reading in Isaiah 53. Well, in Isaiah 54, there's a reference to Noah and the flood and the apostle Peter later in the New Testament begins to talk and takes that analogy of Noah and the flood and connects it to baptism. So here what we see is Philip takes that He's a, he's a helper. He's a guide. He says, your next step is baptism. And look what happens is verse 36. And they were going along the road and they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? You know, what's really cool about that phrase. What prevents me from being baptized is this, is that it literally means in the original Greek language, it means this, what's holding me back? What's the barrier? And he begins to understand the good news that, it's not an ethnic barrier that Christianity um, later, and we're going to see in the book of Acts for the very first time, these guys are going to be called Christians. I mean, this is the early formation. This guy begins to get it that, wait a second, being a Christian, it's not about one people group, it's about all people. Wait a second, and it's not about some cultural tradition, it's for every culture. The gospel supersedes in, in oh, every culture, every ethnicity. The Bible describes that uh, in heaven there's every tribe, tongue, and nation are worshiping Jesus. And so he wants to be publicly identified. He would have had an entourage of security guards with him. And this message is going to go out to uh, what is now uh, Sudan, one of the most persecuted countries in, in the world. Um, he commanded his chariot to stop, and they both went down to the, into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, he baptized them. When we do baptisms at North Valley, it's a celebration. It's a celebration, an indication of a, guy's, a guy or a gal's new faith in Jesus Christ. And we actually encourage anybody that is, uh, had the influence on that person's life to baptize them. So it's not done just by the pastor or, or whatever. It could be a mom, it could be a dad, it could be a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. Last thing we're going to see is that we need to be ready to be used again and again by God. Verse 39 and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. This is kind of mysterious right here. You're like, what? Carried the Lord, carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more 
And then he went on his way rejoicing. Uh, continually on in verse 40, it says, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and that was like 20 miles away. And he passed through, he, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Uh, later in the book of Acts, we find out that that's where he lives. So what happened? This guy baptizes this Ethiopian guy, and then all of a sudden, God like transports him, teleports him away. Supernatural, extraordinary kind of stuff. Why did he do that? I don't know. But what the scripture does tell us is he did. Here's the point that I want to make with you is be ready to be used again and again by God. At the end of the day, I mean, these guys didn't have the uh, Phoenix transit, transit system. They didn't have the dart rail. They didn't have any of these things. And so God just is going to miraculously move this guy. It was a supernatural intervention for God to keep this, this message going, propelling forward from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. This morning, what I want to do is I want to take a chance and just to walk you through the ABCs of the gospel message, the very beginning. I remember when I was uh, uh, a rebellious punk kid who rejected Jesus and the message of Jesus over and over and over again. I can look back. I remember one distinct memory. I was at John Brown University. It was this Christian camp. And uh, I was going to get kicked out because um, there were some kids on the, one of the floors that was kind of going through the rooms and they were stealing stuff. And I was a bad kid at the time. I only went to church camp because my, my mom and dad told me if I went, they would give me an extra dollar for allowance. So it was bad. I mean, I was basically bribery. But you do whatever you have to do with a struggling wayward teen, right? So I go, and I'm, I'm sitting there in the camp, and I, I let all the people take their loot and pile it up in my room. Because I think, that, well, they need some help, you know? So I'm going to help them out, let them put their loot in my room. And then, uh, so I get caught, and they blame me, and they say, you, you stole all this? And I didn't want to narc on all my friends, so I just said, sure. So I take the blame. They're going to kick me out. The guy walks me through. He takes me. We had a smoker's pit. This is a very controversial youth ministry. We had a smoker's pit, and I would go down, and I'd get to smoke uh, behind the, the dumpsters, and they let me do that. So I'm smoking a cigarette, and Jeff Cal, a man that I know was changed by Jesus, full of grace, comes up to me and says, Ryan, I want to talk to you about the basic plan of salvation, the very basics of the gospel. And he walks me through this. He says, see, you need to acknowledge your sin. You just need to acknowledge you're not perfect, Ryan. You need to acknowledge this. That, you know, you, we come into the world lying, kicking, screaming, biting, saying mine, mine, mine. Like, we just, like we're, we've got something in here that's not right and it's got to be fixed. You just need to acknowledge your sin. That's the basic starting point is acknowledging. You can't get a Savior unless you acknowledge your need for a Savior, right? So I remember hearing that. I was like, man, that's, 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 that's good. Okay, yeah, I admit that. Believe Jesus died for that sin. Basics of the gospel message is believe that Jesus, he's the remedy of that sin. The great exchange, the great cool thing about the gospel message is you give him, Jesus, your sin, and he'll give you righteousness. It's Martin Luther, the reformer, called it the great exchange. So that, that, this is good news, totally different than a lot of world religions, that we make a, cha a trade, we give him sin, he takes our sin, and then we get a new life through Jesus Christ. Believing that. Well, I didn't really believe that. But I moved from an atheist to an agnostic, probably in that moment, going, okay, if there is a God, it is Jesus, but I'm not sure. But then this last part, it was really hard, confessing Jesus is Lord. I don't want to do that. I didn't want to do that. 
I, I don't want, because if he's the Lord, then I got to follow him. And I don't want to do that. It's the basics. I want to encourage you, you can take this basic gospel message and share it with others. After you share this with somebody, I want to encourage you, just turn around and ask the person believing in a divine appointment and say, would you like to start a personal relationship with Jesus Christ today? Most of the time, when I get the opportunity to share the gospel message in a personal context, most of the time, people say this, yes, I'd like to pray to receive Christ. In your program, I gave you a little outline. I want to encourage you to be, uh, just start that prayer and process and go, God, what would you have me do? Who should I share with? What would you, what would you do in my life? I'm going to invite the worship team up. And uh, we're going to close out our time in worship. I'm going to pray for you to be filled with courage, to be a, a, a messenger of good news. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my friends here today. I thank you for your church. Uh, thank you, God, that uh, we see in your word an incredible example of overcoming the fear of evangelism in the life of Philip and throughout your scriptures. I pray, God, to encourage us, overwhelm us with a sense of the greatness of grace and this message of new life here and now every day. And uh, God, the, in the life to come, I pray that, God, you would use my brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to be that bearer of good news, that when people are going through dark times, might you, might you use their voice, their words, as they rely upon your spirit, in Jesus' name. Hey, we're going to enter into a time of communion, and as the, uh, as the um, communion plates come around, if for some reason you're just uncomfortable doing that, uh, this is an opportunity for believers that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, uh, just to remember the grace of God and how he uh, suffered and died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. If, that's, if it's uncomfortable for some reason, just let them pass and use the time to pray and connect with the Lord, and we'll continue to worship. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.